Our reading is from Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 1 to 13. During those days, another crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit on the ground. And when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he had sent the crowd away, he got into a boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back in the boat and crossed to the other side. dead on battery, that's why.
recording? And all good? Excellent. Right, right. I won't quite start from the beginning. Just to say that this feeding story with several thousand people is just like the ultimate food bank uh, because the people get fed. Now, it's similar but not exactly the same as the food bank that we run because obviously in the story they're in the middle of nowhere. There is literally no food other than the meagre possessions that they've got and food multiplies as they give it out. It so you've got food out of nothing. Now in the food bank here, it feels like food out of nothing because we had like no supplies, but then people donated it. So rather than molecules appearing out of nowhere, as on the hillside, people have donated it. But it feels like it's food out of nothing because the demand keeps coming and the provisions are there to meet the demands. Through the 10 years we've been operating, we have given out 583 tonnes of food over the past 10 years. And of that 583 tonnes, only 2% has been purchased by the food bank. All the rest has been donated. And even last term, when the demand, because of the cost of living crisis, was 60% higher than the equivalent term the year before, we never ran dry. We always had food to make up food parcels. There was never a moment where we had to say to someone, sorry, we can't give you anything because we've ran dry. Certain items that we put in the parcel got to zero or got near zero. We put out a appeal and then the donations come in. The food has kept coming through these 10 years. But I think Jesus was operating on this uh, simple twofold principle. The first aspect of his twofold principle was that there was genuine need. The people were hungry. They'd been there for, I don't know, two, three days, he could tell, but they had run out of food or they didn't have food. And he said, look, they're going to start collapsing if they don't eat something soon. There was genuine physical needs. The second aspect of it was that Jesus saw them and had compassion. He had a God in human compassion for the people with their genuine need. Put those two together, the genuine need and the God in human compassion. And with those together, you've got the ingredients for demonstrating the kingdom of God, which is what happened in the feeding miracle. Now, naturally, when Jesus turns to the disciples and says, look, feed these guys, they're a bit perplexed. And they come up with a logical question. Although, the fact that we're reading this second story, because there's two feeding miracles and this is the second one, it's illogical. Because they've seen God miraculously provide the first time round. Right? So why this time do they not say, oh yeah, it's that feeding thing again. We know how to do that because Jesus is with us. But no, they ask the humanly logical question of like, we're up a hillside. Where are we going to get food for all these people? I don't know how we're going to do this. But of course, Jesus is operating at a different level. He's not operating at the 
human provision level of meeting human needs. But no, he's operating with the God's grace and compassion in him at a supernatural level. And say, look, yeah, we see these physical circumstances, we see this very real physical need, but with God's grace and compassion, it's now time to start acting on a supernatural level. And the model that he used with the disciples distributing is the same model in this story as the one in Mark 6. And it's a very simple model. And it goes like this. It says, look at what you've got. Give thanks to God for whatever you've got, little as it may be. Put the little that you've got at God's disposal. And then start working. Start distributing. So whatever you've got, give thanks for it. Put it at God's disposal. And off you go. There are examples down through the last 2,000 years of Christians putting that same simple model into practice and miraculous things happening, people getting fed, maybe in orphanages or whatever, down the years. There are stories of the exact same model taking place. When we are operating in God's grace, compassion, what we have right now is enough it's enough to get started meager a little though it may seem to us compared to the need out there what we have right now is enough to get started often Christians hold back they kind of have in their mind if only we had dot 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 Or they think we will wait until we have this. We've got this much now, but we'll wait until we have this. But a model that Jesus shows here doesn't hold back. It doesn't wait. It just says, get started with what you've got. Now, I'm not saying that you never pray for resources. I'm not saying that you never assess the need and assess what you've got. All those are good logical, good stewardship type things to do. But beware of humanly just holding back because you can't see what God is calling you to do which is to get started with the little that you have right now. So beware of holding back. One more detail in how Jesus organises this mass food distribution that I want to pick on. It's actually back in the first occasion, Mark chapter 6. In both, both occasions, Jesus tells the crowd to sit down on the ground. And I estimate this crowd, uh, 10, 15,000 people. So that's like the size of a football pitch for everyone to sit down, I, I guess, working it out. But in the Mark 6 story, he tells them to sit down on the grounds in groups of 50 or hundreds. These different groups scattered around the hillside, the field out there. And then does his thing and sends the disciples out 
across the fields to all the groups sat down to distribute the food. In other words, the multiplication miracle happens not in the hands of Jesus, but in the hands of the disciples as they go out scattered across the field. You see, Jesus could have said, get everyone to line up and file past me, one by one, would have taken a lot longer, and the multiplication would have been in the hands of Jesus. You see? But he didn't do that. He gave thanks for it, put it at God's disposal, put it into the hands of the disciples, and they distributed it out to the scattered crowds across the hillside. That's the principle we have been advocating as a church since COVID. Of scattering out. Of taking what God's given us out rather than being stuck in the mentality that we have to get people in here. Rather than being stuck in the mentality that we will only see God work in a service like this. Now we've said, let's take what God has given us out there, distributed and scattered through all of us, through to the diverse places. That has been a strategic decision that we've taken and have been trying to put on into practice. So, for example, last year with... Uh, the Queen's Jubilee and all the celebrations for that. We've said, we will not do a central Jubilee party or celebration here. We won't do that. Instead, we encourage you to do lots of little Jubilee celebrations and parties or whatever you want to do out in your communities with your neighbours and with people you know and, and so on. Uh, you have the idea, go and do it. So guess what? This year, times move on, we now have a coronation, extra bank holiday weekends. Do the same. We will not do a central coronation thing here. Instead, you can take the goodness, the grace, compassion of God out and celebrate with your friends, your neighbours, wherever you see fit. Just go and do something. Because when you do that, you are doing it from the same central source of God's grace, cash, compassion, resources. Just as the disciples took out the meagre, broken seven loaves and a couple of fish, that same resource, that's what they took out and scattered out to all the thousands of people out on the hillside. We are taking out that same central resource of God's grace, compassion, as we scatter out and do stuff in our communities for the coronation. Another challenge up in Yanti this year for Easter is to say... Rather than thinking you have to try and invite someone to our Easter service, which you can do, that's fine. But that's not the challenge I'm giving you. The challenge I'm giving you is to invite someone to your home 
or to a coffee shop of your choice or another location where you can have quality time with someone. But with this deal, invite someone, a friend, someone you know, someone you've been chatting to, and when you're sat down with your coffee and cake or your Easter egg hunt or whatever you do, say to your friends, you know that I'm a Christian, right? You know that I've got this belief in Jesus. Since it's Easter, can I just take a couple of minutes to explain to you why Easter is so important to me as a Christian? And do that with your one or two friends or the family from across the road that you've invited in or, or whatever. And just say, can I explain? You, you know I've got a faith and I'm associated with this church in the centre of town. Can I just explain why Easter is so important to me as a Christian since it's the Easter weekend? Do that over the Easter weekends. Scattering it out. And you might be thinking, well, who should I invite? Well, we have a simple formula for that. We say, think of the people, pray, listen, and then act. So pray for different people you know. And listen for what God may be saying. Act on the hunches. Maybe God's saying, well, yeah, actually do invite that neighbour from number 20. But you said hello to you back in COVID, but you haven't seen since. Now's the time to go and invite them again. Act on the hunches. Pray, listen and act. And you might be saying, well, do they really want to listen to me? Do they want to say, yes, please explain why Easter is important? Well, the answer, statistically, to that is yes, they do. Talking Jesus research shows that amongst people who don't have a Christian faith but have a friend who is a Christian, and that friend who is a Christian talks about their faith with uh, their friends, three quarters, 75% of the people who don't have faith felt comfortable with their faith having that, with their, their friend having that conversation with them. Three quarters. So you've got a three in four chance, statistically, that they will say yes. <laughs> Please explain why, why Easter is important to you. And of those people who have had those conversations, one in three then want to know more about Jesus. That's what the Talking Jesus research tells us. If you want more stats and figures, talk to Rachel Heffer. She's got them all. But those are the two key ones. Of the, of the people of not, not yet faith, three quarters are comfortable having their friend tell them about their faith. One in three then wants to know more. So the odds are good. They're in your favour. In John's write-up of this feeding miracle story, so John's Gospel, chapter 6, he then writes it up like this. After the miracle, Jesus goes off, uh, but the people catch up with him and find him. 
And he writes up Jesus saying something interesting to them. He says, yeah, of course you've come back to me because, you know, last time you were with me, your tum-tums got filled. So of course you're going to come back because, you know, it's good food with me. But then he says to them, don't work for just physical food, which of course spoils or it, you know, it, it doesn't last. Work for spiritual food. If you have a nice coffee and cake or Easter egg hunts or whatever, of course your friend's going to want to come back. That's great. But be looking for who will receive spiritual food. Who wants more? Who is the one in those three, the one in three, who wants to know more? Be looking for that person. Because people coming back, I mean, with the food bank, it's one of the things we have to wrestle with over and over again. We don't want to create a dependency culture for uh, the the food bank. We want people to flourish and be able to stand on their own two feet. But in any situation, we want to be seeing where can we move people to be receiving not just good things in the physical but spiritual food as well. How can you give spiritual foods? Well, here's my thing. I would suggest that every one of us here is already qualified to give other people spiritual food. Every one of us in the room right now is qualified to do that. You do not need to be an expert to do that. How do you do it? You start with whatever you have so far, even if it's a little amount. For some of you, it is simply the story of what God has done in your life thus far. That's enough. Give thanks to God for it. Put it at God's disposal and start giving it out. In other words, the same model that Jesus does with the food multiplication miracle. The little that God has done in your life to date, that'll do. Give thanks for it. Put it at God's disposal and start sharing it out. One final thought in this Mark's version of the story he writes up that then the Pharisees, the religious leaders come and find Jesus and start testing him and prodding and poking him and they ask Jesus for a sign, a sign that Jesus really is this person sent by God now hopefully right now you're thinking well he's fed like 4,000 men plus the women and children. That's a sign. Duh. Right? Hopefully that's what's going through your mind. Right? They've seen signs. He's like been healing people. He's been setting people free from demon possession. He's even raised the odd bod from the dead. That's a sign. And yet the Pharisees come and say, can you give us a sign, Jesus? But then Jesus says something interesting to them. He says... There will be no sign. 
And yet he's been doing all these signs. What does he mean? Well, I think the equation works like this. He says to the Pharisees, there will be no sign because your hearts are hard. And here's the deal. When your hearts are hard, there is no sign that will ever fit your criteria. Because whatever is done in front of your eyes, with your hard heart's going to overrule that and find some way to discount it. So there will be no sign for you with your hard hearts. But for those with soft hearts, hearts willing to be open to see the work of God and the work of God in Jesus, these things will start to make sense. Pray, listen, act. Looking for those whose hearts are soft and are ready and wanting to go further. Maintain a soft heart for yourself so that it's not just looking at the physical, not just assessing the need and the meagre that we have, not locked in those human level calculations but is open to God working supernaturally through the little that you have. But is open to saying, okay, God, with the little that I have, thank you for that. I put it at your disposal. I'm ready to start distributing. In other words, operate just as we've been doing through the food bank for the past 10 years, in God's economy of abundance. Where you discover that no matter what the need, and no matter whether the need increases or decreases, shoots up by 60%, that it doesn't run dry. Because God's grace, compassion is flowing and will scatter outwards from his infinite resources. Why don't we stand to pray if we're able. Um, Stay with us, um, musicians. We're going to do an exercise. Once we've uh, been through this, then please go and and lead us in in the songs.